Welcome to Backstage with John Taylor Ward, where we get to know some of the amazing artists who make the Lakes Area Music Festival possible. I'm your host, as well as one of the founders of the festival, and today it's a pleasure to be joined by Christian Reif. Christian just finished his tenure as the resident conductor of the San Francisco Symphony, and he's been a festival favorite for many years. We discuss his education and approach to music, as well as his fond memories and affection for the Lakes Area Music Festival. Hello, Christian. Hi, Taylor. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Good. It's How so are you good doing? to see you. Oh, not bad. Uh, we've just had our first musicians arrive for the season, so we are ready awesome. to start rehearsals today. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. And nice. you are joining us from Munich, from your apartment, correct? Yeah. Yeah. What is sort of the, the temperature on the ground there? What are, what are things like? Is it starting to come back to life? Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, it would seem as if everything is back to life apart from concerts. <laughs> so apart from our life, um, um, it's been pretty, yeah, it's, people are out and about and, and um, it's pretty safe here. And, and you obviously wear masks indoors. Um, there's some concerts starting up mostly uh, open air or with very few people in the audience. Um, so there's obviously a limit um, to who can open. Um, many theaters can't open because it wouldn't be feasible. Um, if there are only 50 or 100 people in the theater, um, they can't survive on that, but uh, just financially. But uh, no, it's it's been actually, it's been really nice here. And um, we're so happy, Julia and I, that we moved, well, that we are here in Munich. Um, and and our, the park is very close, so we can go outside a lot. So it's been, That's it's fantastic. Good. So yeah. I, I find myself jealous of my European colleagues these days uh, because I get to ask them, when is the next thing that you have on your books? <laughs> yes. I mean, everything until September was cancelled, um, especially well, everything... Uh, that is in the States for me is impossible to get to or, or, and come back. Um, and, but the next thing that is not cancelled is in October. Um, I have a few gigs in Scandinavia, which I'm very excited about and looking forward to and also hoping that uh, that will stay. So, yeah, we'll see. Well, that sounds great. I know we're all looking Now it's forward. just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, you know, reading now, reading, educating and myself. And, and uh, it's, there were a few weeks at the beginning, I guess, of the pandemic where you did all kinds of, you know, just videos and little pop-up things here and there. Um, but uh, obviously everything unpaid, but now it's, it's starting to become like more projects that are really nice and I'm looking forward to. And yeah, so it's, that's, it's been good. That sounds great. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think for all of us, as if a pandemic was not enough, after the murder of George Floyd, I think we have all had to have reckonings around an even different part of our professional and personal lives. Uh, and I think Absolutely. this is something that all of us individually have been sort of thinking about, as well as thinking yeah. institutionally. Where, yeah. where has your mind been? Where has your activity been focused in, in sort of taking that in? 
Um, for me, it's been it's been educating myself a lot. I mean, I, I've I've always felt or thought of myself as an ally, um, but there's so much to do, so much to understand, um, so much. Uh, uh, yeah, so so coming back to Europe, coming back to Germany, I just um, wanted to know more about racism in Germany. And for me, and that's weird to say, and of course every uh, person of color here in, in Germany would say, oh, God, he really had no idea. But um, for me, racism was very much centered on my American experience, uh, what I've seen there, but but learning more about the institutional and structural racism also here in Germany and, and the history also has been eye-opening and um, devastating and embarrassing also that mm -hmm. um, we don't learn that in school. That, that I've, I've been lucky enough to have a great education, but still there's a blind spot um, that, that everyone thinks Germany and uh, colon colonial uh history or politics um is you know that was just a little bit and everyone in in france and england and so forth they they did in portugal they they were the people who had a lot of colonies and you know over decades and centuries but um and and germany just started after 1871 when there was a germany and then uh, gave every colony uh, away after the first world war but but in those decades um horrible atrocities have been um done and and acted out from germans and uh the first holocaust of the 20th century um was germans in in africa in namibia and and i think germany does a very good job at um talking about the third reich about nazis about um, the, the holocaust there and and we I, we do know a lot and learn a lot about it and i think that's very good and very important but we don't know everything else kind of seems to be crumbling away then or being not as in the focus point of education so that's been illuminating also that that people philosophers like kant um and in in the enlightenment that has brought forth so many important steps so many you know human rights and 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 force a division of for um political forces uh, uh in german and but but human rights for whom just for white people yeah. and and that that kant himself that he was the person who who took the human race and divided that into cons. I mean, that's something that, um, wow. uh, that was shocking and, and very illuminating too. And then seeing, seeing the structural and institutional racism also in Germany, um, that they perpetuated, that's just, um, th we're just at the very, very beginning here in Germany, I feel to, to tackle the issue of racism and um so i've been yeah anyway i've been educating myself a lot in that way here in germany listening to a lot of and reading a lot of um books as well by people of color german authors um that i can only recommend very very highly um mm -hmm. and of course also reading um, Amer uh, english in not american english-based authors whether it's uh, Laila Saad, uh, Mian White Supremacy or others uh, White Fragility but um, it's I think that's important for all of us to educate ourselves in that way and then to tackle the the issues of institutional as you said institutional racism and, and structural so 
thinking about what I can do in that way. And I know, I know we're, I'm sure in the same uh, line of thinking, it's um, what can we do in our institution, in our orchestras, in our, in Lakes Air Music Festival and yeah. in any of these uh, theaters and organizations. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's, we need to look at, we are serving a community. We are serving, we want to serve everyone and we want to, uh, and, and, and not just, you know, a certain demographic. We want to be there for everyone and inspire everyone, educate everyone. And I think it's so important that that is represented on stage and that diversity is represented on stage and also backstage in the institution, yeah. in the administration and so forth. Yeah, I've been thinking about a sort of uh, a, a two-pronged approach, at least in my own experience. I think there's there's the inward reflection, which is so important, I think, to, to the education of, of yourself, uh, the examination of your own biases and things like that that's been really interesting is, is not is not quite the right word. It's, it's, it's horrific in some ways. Um, but then also looking outward and seeing for those of us who are fortunate enough to, to have some institutional levers that we can pull, how to use that uh, to try to you know, uplift voices of color and, and trying to fix these structures. Exactly. I mean, that, and that's the thing where I recognize how privileged, privileged I am. I, I, always, I always recognize that I know as a, as a white male, as a European, and in, in the classical music world, and in the career I have, um, I'm very privileged. Um, and I, I want to use that privilege. I want to, and, um, and I would, and that's, and that's a thing, I think, yeah, being, being conscious of that fact and uh, making sure that every voice is represented as, is, uh, as, our, as diverse and varied yeah. as our community is. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not about giving people a voice, giving people of color a voice, because their voices are there, yeah. and the voices have always been there. Mm-hmm. I think it's our our duty and also our privilege to listen to them and um, amplify them. And that, as a as an institution, as a Lexington like, Music Festival, or also um, me as a conductor, I can help with that. I can, I can make sure I can uh, commission new pieces. I can play uh, pieces by um, people of color. Also, same thing with, with uh, female composers. Um, they're also underrepresented, but they're all there. They're great music. Yeah. And, and I feel that is our, our duty to be as varied, yeah, as I said, be as varied as our community and as the artists who, uh, who, who work and who who have a voice to give them the platform and just listen absolutely yeah and this is kind of turning away from that now but uh, you talked about your privileged position as a white man in europe as as a longtime musician and conductor and things like that uh, your brother also who's in munich is a mm-hmm. quite accomplished musician as well tell me about the role that music played in your upbringing? Sure. Um, 
there was always music in our house. Uh, my mom is a musician, um, piano teacher, uh, taught music in school and also has choirs and ensembles. And uh, so the, um, I, I started with her, I started piano um, with my mom for the first 10 years and, uh, and, and she, you know, organized an ensemble and so forth. And, and we played all together with my friends as well. There's always a lot of music in our household and uh, growing up, I mean, it, it was wonderful. It was, uh, our parents, they um, went to concerts with us, to operas, to theaters. They really wanted to show us a lot and 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 um, th that's a very privileged position, of course. And uh, right. the uh, my brother is a violinist and my, uh, my sister is a singer. And uh, so, and now being back in Munich, being back kind of in in, in Bavaria, uh, mm -hmm. close to home, it's been it's been really wonderful. And uh, yeah, I played a lot um, of chamber music with my brother as well, and uh, I miss that. We just recently recorded something together, and it was just it was a lot of fun. It was like old times. We don't have to talk much about it. We can just we breathe in, we play. Yeah, we are on the same page. It's that really is nice. a fantastic connection and even I mean I think for all of us as we get older and mature we have those artistic relationships that maybe aren't yeah. as long-standing as a sibling relationship but <laughs> it's you really start to treasure those relationships that you have that go beyond needing to talk about the music to just sort of an ability to know yeah. what the other person is thinking and what they're going exactly do. exactly yeah yeah tell me about that progression from from you as a pianist, that was your primary instrument, correct? Yeah. Uh, to beginning to conduct and, and how you how you got bitten by that bug. <laughs> um, well, as a pianist, I always wanted to play with people. I wanted to play chamber music. And, uh, and I also loved that in my piano part, and just practically, I have all the parts written in. So I don't just have the violin part of the cello part of the piano trio, but in the piano trio, I have my piano part and the violin and the cello. Mm -hmm. So that was always, I, I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know what's happening. I wanted to know who's playing what. And, uh, and the, the, the shift to, to conducting, um, at some point I just, uh, I mean, I, I always loved the repertoire. That really spoke to me. The, the repertoire of, of um, the orchestra and the colors of the orchestra. Yeah. The, the, the power also, the, the uh, everything about the orchestra mm -hmm. fascinated me and and when I played piano and I, um, my teacher also in Salzburg he always um, asked me to imagine the colors of instruments because that that's something what um, immediately gave me an idea of how to play a certain part with a okay this is more of a this is now a woodwind uh, you know ensemble trio this is the, these are the basses this is the timpani this is the the horns and so forth or this is the brass chorale or whatever you know uh, that helped me play better and so uh, at some point playing in orchestras as well i played clarinet um for a good while and um it just yeah i learned i took some lessons and then uh did the audition in Salzburg at the Mozarteum, mm -hmm. studied there for four years with my uh, uh, undergrad um, and then graduate studies, uh, my master's at Juilliard. Mm -hmm. Do you remember, were there any particular orchestral pieces that were a real gateway into that sort of thinking? 
when I when I think of that age, uh, that sort of adolescent, mid-teen age, it's an age of of sort of obsession. And in some ways, I think that the things that you find that interest you at that point in your life really are are the the strings that keep going for a long time. What what were those mm. for you? Mm. Um, it's hard to put a finger on it because there was, I just listened to so much and there was so, mm -hmm. as I said, there was always music in our house and also around us. So, um, but if there were, I would say the music of Haydn definitely was a, a point of fascination, maybe even though even more so, um, when I was 18, 19, then started uh, studying because studying Haydn is so interesting and fulfilling and mind-blowing. Um, maybe at, uh, during, as a teenager, I mean, the, the, the a rehearsal of Shostakovich's 13th Symphony, Bobby Yar, yeah. that is something that, that blew me away, left me in tears, and uh, I was, I, I, always from then on wanted to conduct Shostakovich and I wanted to conduct that piece and I was able to actually I was uh, able to step in uh, a few years ago in Berkeley Berkeley okay. Symphony oh it was that was an incredible feeling mm -hmm. um and and that piece was definitely that that piece maybe was I don't know if it it wasn't the only catalyst but it was one of the pieces that showed me that music is not just entertainment right but that music has the power to make you think more and make you um make you think about existential issues in your life and in the life of the world um and that uh, i mean the, the the music bobby r i mean maybe just to to or the piece to to uh quickly describe for everyone is, right. is uh, Shostakovich's 13th symphony and um, it's a a poem uh, called Babi Yar and uh, the Babi Yar was the um, the village where um, a lot of uh, basically there was a massacre in Babi Yar it was during the Third Reich and and that they were all um, in a ravine. Is that called a uh, like? They, they were all buried, kind of in the in the earth. And at some point, when um, and no one was talking about it, the Soviet Union wasn't talking about it, and uh, Germans were not talking about it. It was kind of a secret. But um, because there was a flood, then all these uh, bodies came washed into the into the village there and it was just it was and everyone hushed it up again there was a secret and no one was talking about it so this uh, the first sentence of um this poem is called there is no monument at or in babiya yeah and um that just just kind of this it's it starts so intensely and and it gets comical as well as Shostakovich is known to to write very satirically as well because he never knows whether at, the, at that point he was able to write basically whatever he wanted but before definitely he had to um, walk that fine line of right. Of, right. of you know being at this uh, hero of the Soviet Union or 
the um, persona non grata and being, you know, killed off. Um, so he had to be very careful. But um, this this poem was very powerful, and the whole piece he wrote it, and that's very special also and very um, just emotional. Yeah. Um, is it's for bass soloist mm-hmm. and big orchestra and bass choir. Right. And that I don't know any other piece that is written for those forces. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, so that, that piece had a lasting impact on me. And, uh, and, and I, I did look at music differently from that. And I don't know, I was, I think I was 16, 15, 16, something around that yeah. age, maybe 17. I'm, I'm not sure, but um, definitely a powerful experience. Right. Just as a side note, is that a Yevtushenko poem? Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, Yevtushenko. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So You've this is the alert for anybody listening right now. If you have not explored the poetry of Yevgeny Yevtushenko, do yourselves a favor and explore those. They are really absolutely fantastic. such an individual voice and such a powerful yeah. voice. Yeah. 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 So sort of getting back to your to your career, what what brought you from the Mozarteum to the United States? Had you been, had you wanted to come to the U.S.? Uh, was that a goal of yours? Um, not necessarily, no. Um, the goal was, as a, as a student conductor, um, you don't have your instrument with you the whole time. You don't have your voice, you don't have your violin. You can't just go and, uh, you know, practice five, six, seven hours a day. Um, on your instrument, on the piano, um, or something. So, uh, the and in San Francisco, in San Francisco, I see in Salzburg, uh, different part of <laughs> my life. In Salzburg, yeah, um, th- we had a we had a lab orchestra, um, you know, filled with students, and that we the student conductors were conducting. But that was only every other month. And to have, oh, wow. to not have your instrument in front of you and learn, and you know, that's how you learn. You learn in front mm-hmm. of the orchestra. And so that was something I really wanted to change after those four years that I was uh, in Salzburg. So I, I researched and um, there are a few uh, places in Europe that definitely have better um, just environment for that. They have more orchestra projects. Um, but the, those auditions were all later in the later spring and early spring were auditions in America and, uh, in, in February, I believe. And so I, I applied to those, I applied to several different schools, to, to Manus, to Juilliard, to NEC, to, uh, Peabody. And uh, with all of those schools, they, um, have a lab orchestra every week for the yeah. students. Yeah. So every week you conduct an orchestra. And so that's the reason why I wanted to go to, to America, really. Plus, then um, when I came to New York and, and experienced that city um, for the first audition, it was Manus. Um, I thought, no, I, I would love to live here. I would love... Also, Salzburg became so small for me after four really? years. I just needed to get out. And so New York seemed to be the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, huge, loud quick everything very very intense and um energetic and so i felt picturesque no (laughs) but it is alive (laughs) upstate but not in (laughs) it is uh well you can find the beauty but it's definitely intense and um so i i thought okay well i probably should um uh prepare myself a little bit more for the juilliard audition (laughs) and um and 
I didn't expect to be, you know, to, to be accepted, but I, I was so happy when I was. And uh, I was the only one to be accepted that year. And um, I had two amazing years with Alan Gilbert and Jim Ross. They were fantastic teachers, um, very demanding. It was a very demanding two years studying sure. Juilliard. Yeah. And I think this is something that our listeners might not necessarily know. When we think of a place like Juilliard or any of these very selective conservatories, there may be 50 violinists that are studying there, but there's probably in total, what, you know, three conductors in the school at a time. And that, so, yeah. Yeah. That lends, a, that lends a different sort of feel to those auditions. What is, what is that process? What, what was it for you? How many people came to Juilliard for that audition? So first you have to apply. You have to apply with videos. You have to apply with your CV resume, of course, and with recommendation letters and all that. From that big list of hundreds of people, they only invite 50, I believe. Um, and then, and then you're, the, the audition is two days long. Um, the first day is only acad academic, is only um, lots of testing, lots of written tests, oral skills. Um, it's it's uh, analysis, it's counterpoint. It's basically they test you in any conceivable way. Mm -hmm. And the test is basically so hard that you're meant to fail. Yeah. And I'm sure I failed. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it was crazy. I was not, uh, I mean, I, obviously I studied hard for, for the uh, auditions, but there was no way to prepare you for this exact test. So it was very, very, I, very broad. And music yeah. history as well and repertoire and everything. Mm -hmm. um, I would assume and that it's, it's designed to find the point at which everybody fails, right? You know, it, it Yes, and, and, and there are some geniuses who are great at sure, that and who sure. ace that test. Um, and, but, that is, but that test doesn't mean that you're a good conductor either. You know, you can be you can be a genius in this test and fail as a conductor, or just have no no able no ability to communicate your ideas. Or you can do both. If you if you can do both, amazing. Um, but uh, so the the that that was very interesting. Um, we had some uh, one on one or one on one. I was the only one. You and then you have a panel of people. Um, you know, and you have to sing. You have to sight read. You have to. Um, prepare a piano solo piece you have to um, you have to score read also site score read and so forth so that's the first day and if you pass that day um, then the next day you get invited to conduct an orchestra and that's several rounds as well I believe it was two rounds when I was there maybe it was three rounds I'm not sure but um, yeah so then they weed out people as we go along as well so um, it's a lot of repertoire you have to prepare and then, yeah, and then you audition. And in the end, yes, and that year I was the only one to be accepted. Um, there were three, um, three people already in the program. So we were four in my first year. Okay. And then when they left, two people got accepted. So in my second year, we were three. Okay. Um, so it was very intimate, very small group. We know each other very, very well. And we were, it was a very good community. And we were very, very critical of each other and supportive. Mm -hmm. So that's so that was important. Good. When, yeah. And so, what is a conducting lesson like? I mean, it's not 
it's not like on the piano where you can see you hit the wrong note or where you can, you know, tell a lot of those things. What, what do you talk about in a conducting lesson? Um, it depends. I mean, there are many, many layers and it's hard to describe it, but yeah. basically you want to find the clearest, most straightforward and inspiring way to communicate your thoughts of your, of the piece through your body. Mm -hmm. And everybody is different. Every conducting style is different. Um, there, I think it's important for me, it was always important to be authentic to yourself, to not try to mimic anyone, to not, uh, watch hundreds of hours of conducting videos and then say, Oh, I like really, I like him. I'm going to do this and do that. Yeah, yeah. You, when I, when I watch conducting uh, conductors, I do look at them and seeing, okay, this worked, this didn't work. Why did this work? Why did that not work? And so forth. I might, I mean, and subconsciously I might, you know, find some ways in myself to do the same, but um, I don't, I think that's really important to not mimic or, uh, put a choreography on or um, yeah, just, just, mm -hmm. just mimic someone else. I think that's really crucial as a conductor to be authentic. When that brings me to another unanswerable question. So when you say this works, this didn't work, how do you know whether that's you or whether that's, you know, just the ensemble, it, something didn't go right in, you know, in a finger, in a fingering or something like that? Um, sometimes you don't know. Yeah. Sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. um, all you can do is be as clear as possible. And, right. and, and there's a way if I do bam, you know when you sing, when you play, when you play it. But if I'm doing... It's right. different. Obviously, you can give very amorph or kind of upbeats that invite you that you, when you breathe that invite them to play and everyone will breathe together and then sit down you don't always have to do yeah. this i mean that's mm -hmm. all, all it depends on the character but um yeah i think that the the way to you have to find your tools in your body to communicate clearly and uh yeah and to get that to be a to also to be um to really, to feel the music, to embody the music, to be the conduit for the music and the composer, to um, inspire the musicians to play and the, and the singers to sing better than they thought they could um, in a way to, to step up more. Um, and also to be very flexible because as a conductor, you can have the brilliant interpretation or brilliant reading in your mind, but then you hear something in the orchestra and it's different, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Right. Um, I mean, there are wrong things and wrong notes, obviously, Always. but it doesn't mean that this reading or interpretation of the solo flute player is wrong just because it doesn't match yours. So yeah. you have to be flexible and hear, okay, shall we try it like this? What does that mean for the rest? How does it fit in? How are we breathing? How, what is the arc of the piece? And, and then obviously for the solo winds and solo instruments, you give, give a lot, there's a lot of push and pull. There's a lot of 
listening and reacting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's what conducting is, is to prepare and listen. Right. And, and then you, you kind of change or you don't, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. And, and I think from a performer's angle, I would say that that's what the best conductors do is they elevate the performance of the individuals and the collective. It's, it's, it's the that's much better put than what I said. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think exactly. That, that is a fantastic and in some ways sort of selfless skill, although conductors do not have a huge reputation for being selfless. But I think, I think you are certainly a goodie who is, who is out there to bring out the individual voices of the people that you're working with, which is so absolutely inspiring and uplifting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So it was while you were at Juilliard that you met uh, Julia Bullock, the soprano. Yes. Correct. Who is now your wife. Yes. Tell me about that. How did you meet? How did you first get to know each other? You might, you might hear her also or, or, or hear her laugh or or whatever. I did just previously before because she's on another interview as well. Uh, We kind of had to, okay, you go there, I go there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, I think a panel discussion or something. Um, Well, we met in, uh, in New York. Um, We saw each other a few times over the course of uh, um, a week, um, every other day or every day, every night we, we saw each other at the Met, at the New York Phil, at Juilliard, in some performances and so forth. Right. And so at some point, I just asked if she wanted to grab a coffee. And uh, so we, we, well, actually, then she didn't, um, she didn't have time for that coffee because she thought, she forgot that she had a sound check rehearsal for a concert at Carnegie Hall, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of you know, Broadway musical theater tunes. And, and she just asked, well, I'm so sorry I had to bail, but, but do you want to come to the show? So I did. And yeah. we had a lot of fun afterwards. Also, we went out with some of her friends, went dancing and then, yeah. Here we are. <laughs> Rest. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you, you, of course, obviously have a personal connection, but there, there must be I know there is. It's evident uh, when when I see you've been uh, posting videos of you two playing and singing together. There's there's obviously a huge musical connection in in addition to the personal connection. What uh, what what is that connection? What where do you find that uh, through music? Um, we well, we love talking about music together. We love. We love researching together. We love the programming. Um, any program that I'm, I'm very passionate about and want to try uh, figure out, um, we talk together and vice versa. And uh, well, she's figuring out a, a piece today. Also, we were just on the piano and um, she's singing through some line and asks me for feedback and so forth. And I ask her for feedback. Um, and it's, it's really, really nice. I mean, we both have, we can definitely say we can, we both have grown, not just personally, but musically because we're together, we've inspired uh, each other. And, and that's something very, very special. And I love that, um, that we, and, and obviously we, we have performed together also in Brainerd. So, uh, it's, it's, that's been so wonderful and special to, mm-hmm. um, and also to have the time to talk about pieces that you're doing before, yeah. because, uh, 
often our business is, you know, a, a week you go to an orchestra for a week and you rehearse with the soloist maybe for an hour before the first rehearsal. Right. And that's, you know, and you just, you put it together. Obviously when you know each other before already, it's easy that um, you kind of get a feel for each other, for the music, and then you put it together and you, you make the best out of it. Um, and obviously you can get great outcomes out of that, but um, being together, living together, um, talking about the piece, whether it will Marla Four or Barbara's Knoxville, right. uh, just talking about it together, singing together, going really deep into the poems and into the music. And that, that is very luxurious. And uh, yeah. I love that we had the time to do all of that um, or have the time. And that makes a, a performance even more special for us. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure it translates to the to the orchestra and to the audience as well in some ways. But for us, that makes it very, very special. Yeah, and I would encourage anybody who hasn't to look up some of those performances that y'all have uh, posted since since we've been in isolation. They're really fantastic, not just for their musical worth, which is immense, but also for that sense of intimacy and that sense of home that you feel when you yeah. see the two of you just in your music room playing and singing together it's really touching no thank you thanks um though it's been it's been really nice to make music together in that way as well um those i have to say they're not necessarily sometimes they're just spontaneous we just play a few takes of it and, and or just record um it's not like with the mala or the barber where we we spent weeks preparing yeah. uh, with this one it's almost more like let's just play through this oh this is nice okay mm -hmm. uh, or do you want to do you want to do this okay um so that's that's been that's been fun um i do and i i love playing piano i do miss i just miss conducting that's uh that's something I'm, yeah, I really miss. I miss making music with people, yeah. with lots of people and, and just connecting in real life, in real right. space and that's in real time. So yeah, that's something I really, really miss. I, I feel that as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, from that tangent, what happened after Juilliard? I mean, that's a that's a terrifying time at anybody's career when you're <laughs> when you're sort of thrust out into the world. What was the path that opened up for you? Again, I was very lucky, very very lucky. Um, I applied for the conducting fellowship at the New World Symphony in Miami. Um, I got invited um, to be there for a week to meet Michael Tyson Thomas to conduct a, con a piece in the concert, um, with the fellows. And, um, yeah, we had a great time, really enjoyed making music together, the fellows and I, and, and Michael has been since then also, but, um, has been so supportive and we had a very, very immediate connection. Um, I remember the first, first conversation we've had, um, in Miami there at his house and uh, just talking about the piece. It was uh, Tchaikovsky Suite Number 2, the fourth, fifth movement. Mm -hmm. And something I never knew before, it doesn't get played that much. Yeah. Rarely people know it, but um, so we talked about the pieces, the, the movement and, um, and one was called the dream, one movement. And he just asked me, what is this child like? I, I think it's called, no, it's called the child's dream. And he just asked me, yeah, what is this character? 
What is the feeling of this child? Who is he? Who is she? And we just talked a lot about that. And that yeah. informed my whole take on the piece. I, I already had thoughts and obviously I, and, and, but somehow the answers that I gave him, um, he liked or we, we at least right. we, we talked about it and it was really an engaging conversation. And since then he's been, yeah, he's been really a wonderful, supportive and inspiring mentor. And uh, so I, I love that we had these, uh, that that was at New World for two years. The, it's called also America's Musical, mm-hmm. America's Orchestral Academy. Oh, yes. And uh, so it's, it's all young people um, after bachelor or master's degree um, they come there and, and play a season, a professional season. So you play um, subscription concerts, you play family concerts, education concerts, you play kind of different style, um, different different venue. I did a lot of these. I was basically doing all of the education family right. and uh, these club concerts as well. Actually, that was not the first time, but one of the times that Julia and I worked together. Um, and uh, it's, it, I learned a lot there. I learned a lot from the fellows as well. And just being able to have free reign to a lot of concerts and programming, um, I really grew a lot in a kind of a very safe environment. And uh, then from there on, I went to San Francisco Symphony as a resident conductor. Mm-hmm. It was a great time. Where Michael Tilson Thomas was the music director. Correct, so yeah. That has been an incredibly fruitful relationship um, between you and MTT. Yeah. What is it about his artistic voice that, that really connects with you? Uh, you? You talked a little bit about the approach of storytelling of character, yeah. which is really yeah. nourishing, I would imagine, and really, really yeah. fun to be around. Uh, are there any other aspects of his artistic voice that really inspire you or or have really shaped the way that you approach music absolutely i think the uh one of the many things is his his sense of drama his sense of as i said storytelling his sense of um he is a he is a film director as well and he approaches music in a way as if it's it's a play or a movie and and so he's the director he knows, okay, this is the lightning, a uh, lightning, lightning. This is the lighting change. This is right. now this, this scene. Who, is, who are the characters in this scene? And uh, in what light are they? In what state are they? And so forth. And then we jump to a different scene. Okay, and this is not just uh, with programmatic music where it's fairly easy to say, okay, you have the Romeo and Juliet fantasy of Tchaikovsky. Okay, you can you know okay this is the love theme this is the the conflict this is the drama here he gets killed this is the the um uh, the church and the and the priest and so forth you can you can tell that very easily um but he also thinks about that in in any music and that's very very interesting and inspiring <clears throat> and <clears throat> he always asks himself and he asks of me what does that mean what does this storyline this character what does that mean for the fourth horn? How do they need to play to make this character happen? Yep. It's all good and fine if you can, you just say it or, uh, you know, this is that, this is that, um, and uh, this is yearning or whatever. But what, um, and, and, and you obviously know it and you 
conduct that way. But what does that mean for this, uh, the person in the last row? Um, what does it mean for the triangle? How do they need to play that? And so forth, you know, not just for the first oboe, not just for the first flute, um, kind of the protagonists in a lot of, right. a lot of music. Yeah. Um, but to, to make sure you're thinking about every single part and how every single part has a control and a, and a, and a addition to the overall character of the music. And that's been really, really fun to explore more so. And, and also his, his take on, well, his, his, he is such an incredible communicator, yeah. I think. A, a communicator of music and an educator, not just not just for the fellows, but for the audience, for the for the world. And he, um, if you look at the Keeping Score DVDs, um, yeah. uh, that and I think they're actually on YouTube now as well, um, where he talks about Mahler or you know Copland or uh, Ives. There are all these these or Stravinsky as well. I mean, he met so many of them. He met and played for Stravinsky, for Copland, and right. so forth. I mean, it's, been, it's really, it's fascinating and inspiring and that, to hear those stories as well and to, to hear him and enact out how, how kind of Copland played uh, or sang his stuff, kind of belted it out and just very, um, kind of very noisy, not beautiful. It's the, the clear, how do we get to the clear essence of the piece? I think that's something I really learned from him also and thought more about. Interesting. So it was, it was sometime in that sort of uh, New World San Francisco phase that you first came to the Lakes Area Music Festival, I believe. To conduct, yeah. Or it, yeah, it was after your time at Juilliard, correct? After Juilliard, yeah. So what brought you there and what has kept you coming back? You've become one of our favorite uh, conductors for both the orchestra and the audience and all of us. Uh, yeah, tell me about that experience. I mean, it's one of my my favorite places to go, and the people. I mean, it's it's. Anyway, I'll get to that again. But uh, how I first came um, to Lexer, Scott uh, came to Miami at some point. I'm not even sure he saw me conduct there, mm -hmm. but we talked, and he might he probably saw some clips or whatever, or asked people. Um, whether I'm any good or something, <laughs> but um, I mean a lot of a lot of uh, fellows or a lot of yeah New Old Symphony fellows also come to Lakes area, so there's a there's a kind of a um, th there's a family, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's how I would describe also Lakes area music family. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lakes area music family. No, the Lakes. <laughs> Exactly. Well, the Lengthier Music Festival, it really is, it is a family. I yeah. think um, now, I mean, even just the, even the first time when I went and I didn't know everyone, but I knew a few, but it, it, clear, it was very clear from the get-go that people were there to make music with friends and for the community. And it was deeply rooted in the community. That was what we were there for. And, and to, to, I loved the concept of, or I still love the concept of, of free concerts to make sure yeah. that anyone can come to the concert who wishes. There's, there are no boundaries mm -hmm. and there shouldn't be any boundaries. And, and so that, uh, that the community can come into the hall. Um, and I'm so excited about next year. And, and so forth, uh, <laughs> but to come to the auditorium and and come or to the 
to the open air stage or uh, wherever you know we play and and hear high quality of music that's the other thing it's not just a bunch of people just coming together and kind of sight reading or playing something and uh, amateur you know nothing wrong with that obviously I mean, I've, I've played in so many ensembles that were not professional ensembles and I right. loved it. Um, but the, 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 the quality of the musicians of the Next Era Music Festival is so high. And, and um, what I've been told also by many other people who, who go to other music uh, festivals in the summer as well, they're always surprised at how, how conscientious and just how important and serious all the musicians take the rehearsal and the concerts and it's not a oh we're just here to, to see friends and you know have a good time no the, the concentration of all the musicians in rehearsal as well it's really yeah. it's yeah. it we're there to make music the best way we know how to mm -hmm. and not just in one rehearsal put it together and well who cares you know which is we're all there, just have fun. No, it's really important also for me that the, the music is on high quality because I feel that um, can give the audience an even more direct and more inspiring experience mm -hmm. and yeah, touching, I mean, emotional. Yeah, I, think, I think that that's one thing that we try to set our musicians up for because so many of our musicians are in various orchestras that they play with week after week and we are a non-auditioned ensemble. So we are also looking for people who are going to fit that family vibe of mm -hmm. the festival as well. Yeah. And one of the unintended great consequences of that is I think that when players get to the Lake Area Music Festival, it's a very friendly environment, but it's also an environment where they all want to show off what they can do. So they, they <laughs> yeah. are motivated. These are people, they're playing with people who don't play next to them every week for right. 30 weeks a year. And not just show off to the audience, but show off right. to the musicians, right. to they the, to the orchestra. What they can do. And, and exactly. when you are in a room with everybody who is, with, with all of these people who are motivated to really show their best work, I think you get an amazing product. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's been so fun now, the many years that I've come to Lakes area, um just how i mean and and then when i was in san francisco symphony how people just ask me about it about the festival musicians and they were like hey it, it sounds amazing i heard great things also from the from some other musicians can i come <laughs> can wow. i come and play and it's been it's been really fun kind of having a a network also with the Lake Area Music Festival to have a network of musicians all over the country. Mm -hmm. And when I go and conduct XY Orchestra, I see Lake Area Music Festival people in there. And, yeah. uh, and uh, same as with New World, there's a family, there's an mm -hmm. immediate connection. When I see anyone who has been at New World, there's an immediate connection. Right. And, and, and even if the orchestra is completely new to me, there is one. And I don't have to know that person from my time at New World. Same with Lakes area. It's, yeah. it's, if you have played there, you're part of the family. You have a common experience. Yeah. And also, and you and Scott and, and other hosts, families, they've made it so special and so familial and so loving. I, I just, I enjoy coming back there every year. Well, thank you. We enjoy having you, of course. So <laughs> I, I asked you about uh, Michael Tilson Thomas's 
voice and and what you gained from that and and what you love about it. Um, you are still a, a relatively young conductor, mm-hmm. but in your in your dream world, in your vision of yourself, what is the artistic voice that you hope to bring uh, individually to your productions? I know it's it's a tough question, but I know it's also something. Is this the beginning of the interview, and now we have we have <laughs> a few hours? This is going to sound check uh, <laughs> yes. up until now. But yeah, ha- I know we all think about this probably daily. But but where where are you trying to get to with your voice? That's a really good question and a big one, and not something we can we can talk about in just a few minutes. But uh, happy to talk about this more in the summer to, or summers. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, but I think it's it's. I mean, I try to be every one of us. I think, but I try to be my best self both personally and i think if i am personally i am professionally my best self i want to be um i want to be inspiring i want to be nurturing not just musicians i mean and and i wouldn't call i wouldn't talk nurturing about uh, or I'd talk about nurturing the the professional musicians who are playing at the lecture but but you know but also the the audience to be to be a source and a, a a source of inspiration and also to create an atmosphere of of ex- playful exploration and experimenting and i want to make sure that that anyone can hear great music and can play great music and be inspired by it and i don't want music classical music to be in this kind of um uh, Elfenbeinturm uh, in, uh, in this elven tower yes, uh, yes. in the kind of tucked away and you have mm-hmm. to have a special key to get in right. uh, no I think I think it classical music is part of everyone and belongs to everyone and I think for me it's just a way to amplify that message and and create a space for that message mm-hmm. Yeah, in a way, it's about giving everyone, the audience and the musicians, permission to be a part of it and to to have some ownership over it. I think that's really yeah. inspiring. Absolutely, it's not it's not my music. It's not your music. It's our music. It's yeah, everyone yeah. really. I think that's that's important and and also and that means that it. it it needs to be, and that we come back to our, our first few minutes of, of the interview. I mean, that's why it needs. It's so important that the the whole world is being represented as well, not just invited, but represented yeah. in every facet of of our art making. Absolutely. The from the from the pieces we're playing, from the composers, from the uh, performers themselves, from the people who are behind the scenes. And so forth, and and those who who make it all possible. I mean, everyone. I think it, it's important. Absolutely, and what yeah. a wonderful way to sort of round out the interview. I I really appreciate you taking uh, this time, and it's wonderful to hear of course. you. Before I let you go, I am going to ask a few just flash questions, random things. Just tell me the first answer that comes to mind if you don't mind playing my little game sure do it let's do it okay (laughs) 
favorite animal in the zoo? They need to be quick. Go for it. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I always love the, the, the um, like, like panther and tigers. Mm -hmm. uh, ooh, favorite woodwind instrument? Well, I'm a clarinetist, so, you know, clarinet. Favorite pizza topping? Um, uh, rucola, prosciutto crudo ah, and yeah. rucola. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, you're a classic. And maybe, man. maybe with a little bit of oil or truffle oil or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an extra thing. Do you have a lucky number? No, but my birthday's on the 13th, so 13 was never a bad, unlucky number for me, but rather the opposite. Okay. Uh, favorite piano concerto? Oh, no. Yeah. That's oh. I mean, Brahms 1 and 2 <laughs> are definitely just <laughs> right up there. I mean, Beethoven, oh, Mozart, oh. <laughs> do I have to pick? No, that's, you that's not. You've, you've given us a selection. That's fine. Yeah. This is very important for uh, a person from Germany. Chocolate or gummy bears? Oh, chocolate. No, no. Ah, I mean, for me. Oh. Haribo macht Kinder froh, always. <laughs> Und Erwachsene ebenso. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I know Julia loves gummy bears and any, any, but I never liked anything that was gummy-ish or chocolate all the way. Mm -hmm. uh, favorite superhero? <sighs> I start, I mean, I started with Iron Man, so I, I mean, but he's, yeah, uh, Oh my, oh, that's hard. I don't know, I mean, we'll go with there, there's so many. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, yes, uh, Black Panther, he's, uh, mm. he's incredible. Um, movie. Oh, very, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, and one last one. What has been a, a TV show that has kept you going over all of these quarantine times? Um, I honestly thought I would watch way more Netflix or or Amazon Prime or anything, um, but but somehow there was more <laughs> more work to be done, yeah. and so uh, I only watch in the evening sometimes. But um, I enjoyed The Last Dance very much, okay. Michael Jordan uh, documentary. Um, I thought that was that was amazing, um, and also because I did not really know enough about mm -hmm. basketball. I'm not a basketball fan. Yeah. I'm German. I'm more soccer, but um, but that was that was incredible to see. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, I've been watching several here and there shows here and there. But well, good. Yeah. Well, it is so good to talk to you, Christian. And it's so again, good to I talk to you. Too. you taking the time. Of course, anything for you. Anything for uh, Lexer Music Festival. Well, we will speak again soon, and I really appreciate it. Have a, have a great day and until we see well, each other next. Yeah. It's fairly evening now, but yes. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Well, enjoy yeah. your evening. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. For more information on the Lakes Area Music Festival's programs or to make a tax-deductible gift, please visit lakesareamusic.org. Tune in next time. Till then, bye.